talking about Free Guy. The brand new <laughs> Ryan Reynolds film, Free Guy, is of course opening in theaters next weekend. And today, only about 30 minutes ago, we actually had the uh, review embargo uh, was lifted about a half hour ago before we started this show. Now, both Greg and I have had an opportunity to go see Free Guy and very, very excited about it. Very stoked about it. You know, it's Ryan Reynolds. He's, I don't think he's the best actor in the world overall, but he's my favorite celebrity right now. And, and of course, it doesn't hurt that he's a good Canadian kid. Um, so I had a chance to go see this film the other day. Greg, I know you had a chance to see this. Greg, what did you think about Free Guy? I loved the hell out of it. I was so surprised by how much I love the movie, to be honest, because I saw the trailers. I was like, this looks entertaining. This looks amusing. It kind of looks like Ryan Reynolds is just doing his thing here. And Sean Levy, I think he's a great producer. I don't always love the films he directs. But there's nothing he's really directed that I'm like really dislike. But this is easily, to me, the best movie he's ever done. I would. It had a great sense of wonder. It has amazing CGI. Ryan Reynolds. At first, it's really easy to like immediately think of Deadpool right when you first hear. However, as the movie progresses, you you just buy into the character of Guy. You really see that this is not Deadpool that he's doing. It's a completely different character, and I was so endeared to him. And then I was really surprised by how much the supporting cast got a shine as well. Like Joe Keery's great in it, Little Ray Howery. Um, I'm I, I feel like there's a camp with Taika Waititi that some people like him and some people. I think you loved him, if I'm not mistaken. I, I wasn't. See, I wasn't particularly so keen on him uh which is strange for me because i'm a huge taiko ytd fan he's still fine to, to me i was like i wasn't like i hate this guy but i i just wasn't as enthralled with him as i hoped to be but regardless like it is it's an amazing movie and i feel like it could be one of the biggest movies of the year just through word of mouth like i don't know how it'll do opening box office weekend but i'm hoping through word of mouth that it just keeps trickling because I, I feel like the word of mouth on this movie is going to be so strong because uh, I saw it like two weeks ago when not a lot of people had seen it. And now that a lot more people have seen it, I'm like, oh, thank God. Everyone everyone else is really liking this movie now, too. <laughs> and you get that sense of relief of like, yes, I, I really, really am uh, championing for this film a lot. And and I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by just how, how much joy I had. That's, that's the main feeling I had with it. I just had so much joy when I was watching the film. Yeah, I uh, listen. And by the way, our friend Spencer Cooper sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Spencer. Um Listen, I, I got to tell you, I, I love the movie. I did. And it, it's been a little bit since I've been able to see back-to-back movies that I loved. And I was able to do that. I, you know, Suicide Squad, yeah. I absolutely loved. And then when I went to go, go see Free Guy, I'm going to be honest with you, even though it has Ryan Reynolds, it's been a little bit under my radar. Because it, it really did kind of look like it had the potential to be really fun, but also have the potential to kind of be uh, a throwaway kind of film. Like a little bit yeah. of a throwaway kind of film. And so I wasn't really sure what to expect going in. Now, like I said, the review embargo lifted about a half hour ago. Right now, the reviews are very strong. Uh, the reviews right now are sitting at 89%, and that's with 35 reviews. By the way, I haven't put it, uh, Greg, I don't know if you, I haven't put in a review on Rotten Tomatoes in over a year. I, I might actually Never. go and put my <laughs> review in because uh, I am a, a Rotten Tomatoes certified uh, critic, but I'll probably do that for this thing. This thing is fun. It's funny. It's engaging. 
You love, I mean, they're so, if you read the script for this, you could probably think this could come off as just really overly cheesy, like overly mm-hmm. cheesy, but it didn't like Ryan Reynolds find a way. And Jody, by the way, like she's so good in this. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how in one scene, she can totally look like a sultry, sexy woman when she's in the video game. And then when there's a flashback scene and it's her, I totally buy her as 14 years old. I mean, it's like, it was totally weird her ability to do that. There's a great amount of little Easter eggs that are not just done for, you know, look everybody. Remember the emoji movie, Greg, when they would just throw in a bunch of little random pop culture references for no purpose whatsoever. That's not like it here. When they throw in these little Easter eggs, they actually have purpose and function and it makes Mm -hmm. it more impactful. Now I don't know that this is, you know, my favorite film by Levy. I actually think, I still might think Real Steel might be my favorite. Like that, that Real Steel's yeah. got a real place in my heart. That movie does. But I mean, this is great. And so if you it, can get out this weekend and go see Suicide Squad and then go out next weekend and go see Free Guy, you're going to have a marvelous back-to-back weekend. Now, Greg, let me ask you this, because I know mm-hmm. that you also really like Suicide Squad. Loved it. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to play Sophie's Choice here for a second. If, Jeez, you're going to do the question, aren't you? If somebody <laughs> came to. to you and said, listen, Greg, <laughs> I'm very, very busy, and I've, I can only go see one movie over the next two weeks. I, I can. I either got to pick to go see Suicide Squad or I got to pick to see Free Guy. Which one are you going to tell them to go see? Ah, I mean, my personal favorite would have to be the Suicide Squad, although Free Guy is more universally universally accessible, I would say. And it's like you could go with a family to go watch Free Guy. It has that sort of, it has a bit of an Amblin touch to it, I would say. So I, I think that one is just a lot more accessible. But if if we share similar tastes, if I'm talking with someone who shares similar tastes, right. I would I would recommend uh, the Suicide Squad, uh, just because like that, I like a good hard R entertaining film that surprises me with its rich character development. So yeah, I would uh, I would recommend Suicide Squad over the Suicide Squad over Free Guy. But that's a that is a Sophie's choice because it was like the two best movies of the summer are coming out a week <laughs> apart. So it's really hard. It is it is really hard. Um, you know, I think we got Aaron back now. Aaron, Aaron, you're with Aaron us. Aaron is back, and I've been enjoying all of this. And I'm, I'm now feeling like I might need to do a double feature this weekend as well and see both. Well, the, the, so. I wanted to ask you, like, I know you haven't had a chance to see either of these movies yet because they haven't come out. But Correct. let me ask you, like, from what you've seen in the marketing and everything, Free Guy and Suicide Squad, they are they're both great. But which one have you been looking forward to the most? Absolutely. The Suicide Squad. I mean, first of all, there's nothing that John Cena can do that I will not immediately want to watch. I just find him not only to be uh, so compelling, uh, he, he just he brings me joy. Anything that he does, I find him so funny. He has this irreverence, this childlike sense of wonder in such a behemoth of a human body. Um, and I and I love the fact that he wore his costume to the premiere yes. and walked in, in the red carpet in his costume. I just like, that is part of the reason why I will see anything that John Cena does. Um, so, and, and I, I, I too, Greg, I, I too enjoy a hard R. So uh, I think I'm going to go for the suicide squad this weekend. And um, since the hubs is still out of town, I, I, and I have a little free time on my hand. I might go see both. I was not interested in free guy. The poster does nothing for me. Right. Um, it really does not. It, I, 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 it doesn't, 
yeah, it's just not very intriguing. However, after your beautiful reviews, I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. Yeah, Anne loved it too, by the way. Anne really, really loved it. And and you guys, seriously, once you go see Free Guy next weekend, pay attention. Because there are little things that pop up here and there. There's some great stuff near the end. We won't spoil any of it, but... It's, it's just a feel-good, smiling-when-you-walk-out-of-the-theater kind of movie. So we hope you guys enjoy. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. Have you been looking forward to Free Guy? Were you like me, thinking, eh, this could go either way? Were you like some other people that you just thought this thing has looked awesome right from the beginning? How are you guys feeling about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys think we need to feature as a main topic, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill, who writes, Greetings, John and crew. A trailer for Mary Elizabeth Winstead's movie Kate just dropped yesterday. While the action in the trailer looks good, overall, this looks bad. What did you think of the trailer? <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Sam. And yeah, listen, yeah, Brandon, first of all, let me let me tell you guys this. I am, as much as I am, well, ultimately, I am the ultimate sucker for Jennifer Garner. But I'm also a sucker for Mary Elizabeth Winston. Ever since, um, well, probably even before that, but especially ever since Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It's like, if she's in something, I will give it a shot. I, I just love her on screen. I think she's great. I even thought she was the best part of that terrible, you know, uh, Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn movie, which again, I thought was terrible, but I thought she was completely watchable in it. Anyway, so this new trailer drops for Kate that quite frankly looks like a cross between, and I mean this in, in the most positive way possible. It looks like a cross between... Um, Jason Statham's Crank mm -hmm. and John Wick. It looks like a cross between those two because if you, I'm a big fan of the Crank films. So they had a little bit of that mixture, a little bit of that thing. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about Kate, this comes to this is the, the synopsis for the film where it goes, after she is irreversibly poisoned, a ruthless criminal operative has less than 24 hours to extract revenge on her enemies and in the process forms an unexpected bond with the daughter of one of her past victims. And again, uh, this is the, the synopsis for Kate. So listen, guys, I actually liked, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, th I thought both things, Sam. I thought that the action looked good. I thought the story actually sounds kind of interesting. Uh, again, does it have some shades of crank in there? Absolutely. But that worked for me. So this person who's now absolutely has nothing to lose is just on a pure, straight-up revenge kick. And then you throw in the whole side there. We've seen it before, but the whole thing where the hardened assassin befriends the child of one of their past victims, we've seen that actually a couple times, even in just in the last couple of years. But still, I thought it worked for me. I really did. And she looks convincing to me in this. She doesn't just look like, you know, some movies just try to pass off a pretty girl to make her look up. She looked like a badass in this. She looks great in this. So... 
I, look, this movie could be absolute, complete garbage. I think, I think this is a Netflix film. I could be mm-hmm. wrong about that. Yes, it's a Netflix You're film, right. which means yeah. it probably has a 95% chance of being crappy. But until I see it, I'm going to mm-hmm. give it the benefit of the doubt because I actually think it looks pretty damn good. Anyway, Aaron, you had a chance to see this trailer for Kate. Uh, we haven't talked about it, so I'm very curious. What did you make of this trailer? There is no possibility that I will watch this movie. (laughs) Based solely on the trailer. I agree with you. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I think she's phenomenal. I love Woody Harrelson. Same thing. I'm really excited that Bandmate had a little cameo in the trailer. And I'm like hoping that maybe there's something else, you know, that we're going to, you know, maybe we're going to see them a little bit more in the movie. So there's definitely some cool things. I love the action. The visuals are great. It's clear that this is from the same people who did Atomic Blonde. Like there's a lot of uh, really cool visuals. I love the setting in Japan. There's so many great things going for this movie. Um, but I got to be honest, I don't feel like I need to see the movie because I feel like I've already seen the movie because this trailer basically told me the entire story. I This is one of my issues with Netflix uh, theatrical marketing. And I, one of my neighbors is actually one of the people who does. I, mean, I actually want to go knock on his door right now and go, what the fuck, man? Like, why Why that trailer? That was terrible. You should knock on my door next time you're going to release something and let me watch it first because this is awful. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I felt like, uh, the trailer was about a minute and 45 seconds too long. Um, I would have been much more intrigued and excited about this movie if they had teased me a little bit more, but I felt like the trailer just gave everything away. I don't want you to give it, don't give it, don't give it up on the first date. Okay. Make me want it a little bit. Make me beg for it. Make me make, tease me a little. Don't just be that easy because then it makes me kind of go you know, what's the point? I feel like, you know, it's already been there, done that. And then my other issue is as much as I love these two lead actors, um, I, I, I really felt like the dialogue was really flat and stale and, um, predictable, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, something happened to me and you know, what's your name? Like it just, for, for actors that are so incredibly talented, and for a movie that has so many other things going for it, I felt like the dialogue was really just flat, stale, predictable, boring. The same thing that we see in every other, you know, revenge kind of movie. And I just really had such bigger hopes for this. So, um, yeah, I'm not terribly excited about it. I'll, I'll watch. I'll fast forward through the dialogue for the action. I'll watch the action, but that's as far as my interest goes. Greg, we got one extremely positive. We've got one not so positive. You're the tiebreaker here. What did you think of the Kate trailer? It's actually perfect that I'm last because I'm smack dab in the middle between both of you, uh, <laughs> particularly on this trailer. Uh, okay, where to start? <laughs> I I like the aesthetic that it's being set in Japan because I like like the neon reflective lighting or the, that's the kind of thing that does kind of make you flash with things such as John Wick. Personally, I do think the trailer itself, we can't say it's the actual movie, but the trailer itself felt like a whole bunch of action movie cliches without being aware tonally that it's doing these cliches. Like you mentioned, the assassin protecting the child. So, you know, it's like maybe the trailer does show you way too much, but I'm thinking that if I watch the first 30 minutes of this movie, I'm going to be like, 
Okay, so like 10 minutes before the finale, the little girl's going to get kidnapped and taken by the bad guys, and then she's going to have to go save her. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead will have to save her in the finale. Like the movie looks incredibly predictable. Woody Harrelson is probably a bad guy. So all these things were just <laughs> sort of coming to me as I was watching the as wa- watching this trailer and the action. I'm I'm very particular about hand-to-hand combat because I grew up on like Hong Kong cinema like uh, when I was much younger. And so I think the gunplay looks really cool. And I, they have the producer of, I think, John Wick in here. So the gunplay looks really cool. Some of the hand-to-hand stuff, other than the really brutal moments, like where she's smashing people's heads in, there were parts where it's like she's obviously throwing her fist way above a person's head. <laughs> where I'm like, you're not going to, as in this... And then she like kicks a guy through a window and it doesn't look like she's putting much force into it. And things like that aesthetically can pull me out. And there were times where it would like the last movie I could think of is Atomic Blonde, where some of that was sort of criticized with the when you when you're trying to get a, an actor to showcase like, oh, look how lethal of an assassin they are. But you could tell that it's really choreographed and not really feeling the weight of the the action scenes. Mm. So. I'm sort of in the middle here because I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and I'm rooting for her. Uh, this is from the director who did the Huntsman Winter War. So I'm not sure yeah. how well that will bode with audiences because that yeah. movie was not really well received. But he, I would be completely lying if I said that I probably will not be entertained. Like I have a, I have an impression that as long as it has a good pace about it, it has a good tone about it that I could probably ignore all its shortcomings and still really just sit back and enjoy the film for what it is. Do I wish the car chase scenes did not look so CGI? <laughs> yes. I'm like, it's car chase scenes. And we've seen movies like John wick by this point. And if you're going to say from the producer of John wick, I'm going to want it to feel as practical as possible. But I think for the most part, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I might forget about this trailer by the end of the show, <laughs> but yeah. I think that I think for the most part, like when I'm watching it, I'll probably be amused by it. And to give it the benefit of the doubt, the last thing I'll say to give it the benefit of the doubt. I remember that when the trailer for Drive came out and I remember when the trailer for the first John Wick movie came out, they tried advertising it like this super fast paced action bonanza type of film. And it wasn't that. So I'm kind of hoping I'm like kind of hoping that maybe just maybe this movie is not tonally what the trailer is trying to do and it feels something different because you got a really cool aesthetic here and you got two great leading actors in this film and you got the actor who's playing Raiden here so we're gonna get Huntress versus Raiden uh there's there's elements here that I I, I'm just holding on to a sense a little bit of optimism for just for my personal sake all right well the question is for you guys we've got loved it didn't love it kind of in the middle what did you guys think about the cage and just for the record I think this movie's probably going to be bad I think the movie's probably going to be bad. I just like the trailer. It's got me excited to give it a chance. How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by James Argenta, who writes, 
CinemaCon recently released their schedule for the convention later this month, which includes a screening of Shang-Chi on August 25th at 9.30 a.m. I assume the show is canceled that day. Uh, With the screening schedule, does this change their views on films getting delayed to due to the Delta variant? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, James. Now, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, there is an annual convention that did not happen last year called CinemaCon. And I'm going to be honest with you. It is my favorite convention to go to every year. I love going to Comic-Con. I love it. But if I had a choice between going to Comic-Con or CinemaCon, I'm probably going to CinemaCon. Now, one of the things that, now CinemaCon, some of you guys know, but what CinemaCon is, it is basically a convention for the movie theater industry. It's not generally open to the public. It is for movie theater owners. It's put on by NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners. And what happens every year is all the studios go and they make these big one and a half to three hour long presentations showing clips and scenes and highlighting all their movies that are coming up the next year. And they also do a lot of secret surprise screenings of films that sometimes aren't coming out for weeks, months, sometimes even six months in advance. Well, Disney announced a few weeks ago that they won't be attending CinemaCon this year because of their personal concerns about the Delta variant sending their own people. But that's not stopping them from having a slated event. And that event is that they are going to be screening a little more than a week before it releases in theaters. They're going to be screening Shang-Chi there. Now, getting to the the, the question they brought up was, does them screening this thing at CinemaCon? only like about a week away from when it comes out in theaters. Does this pretty much give us a signal that, yeah, they're not going to be delaying the film. They're going to be putting out. Yes, the Delta variant is kind of blowing up, but the reality is more than half of Americans right now are uh, vaccinated, which means you're not going to see the types of uh, the types of peaks that we had before. So they're probably now saying, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, but it seems to me like what they're saying here is, is that, Who knows what will happen with other films, but they're probably going to keep Shang-Chi on its release date and put it out uh, regardless, which I I probably is what it is they're saying. But look, if I had any shakiness about whether or not I was going to CinemaCon this year, that shakiness is gone. (laughs) Like I am. I'm definitely Mm -hmm. there because, listen, I went through the schedule. Uh, I went through the schedule of CinemaCon. And not only, of course, do they have here on August 25th, you know, the at 9.30 a.m., the Shang-Chi presentation. I mean, you then the same day you got Universal doing an hour and a half presentation. I think the Warner Brothers presentation is three hours long. Jesus. Uh, three hours <laughs> long. Uh, I mean, they're all going to be the Paramount's got like an hour and a half or two long presentation. And I remember what happened a couple of years ago. The last CinemaCon that we were actually able to go to. Robert Meyer Burnett came with me, and what he and I did was we did a recap live stream after each of the major studio presentations. And it mm-hmm. and I didn't know if anybody would be interested in that. Those are some of the most highly viewed streams we did that year. Like everybody wanted to know mm-hmm. about the studio presentations and what they were running down. And then they always bring their stars with them too. The stars are always there. I mean, that is, of course, was the first place that I heard about Dwayne Johnson doing Black Adam 17 years ago mm-hmm. when he came out and staged the <laughs> Warner Brothers thing. So I think this is great. I'm very excited about CinemaCon. Obviously, they didn't have one last year. And yes, I do think with the fact that they're playing it here, I think this pretty much tells us they're moving ahead with their plans to release it on schedule regardless. Greg, uh, you 
I, I don't know, Greg. I don't even know if you've ever been to CinemaCon, but no. what do you think about them screening the film there? And does this suggest either way to you anything about their plans to keep it on its release date? Well, really quick, if I'm not mistaken, Sody Pictures also said that they're going to be there. They are. They're and scheduled. They're, gonna, and they're doing like a two or three hour presentation as and well. They said they're going to be showing stuff from their upcoming films. Yes, they are. So maybe that's when we're finally getting that damn Spider-Man No Way Home oh, trailer. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. I guarantee like, yeah. they, they might even drop it before then. But I, I, if we don't have the Spider-Man 3 trailer before then, I think we're going to get it at CinemaCon. Probably, I think you're probably I th- right about that. I feel like it It feels like it would make the most sense and then maybe they could have a Again, this has been the same story with Spider-Man No Way Home for the longest time, but it would make sense to me if like, okay, yeah, you release it at CinemaCon and then you could also play it uh, at Shang, uh, Shang-Chi when, when that's actually out in theaters. But yeah, to answer the question... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I never suspected this particular one would actually get delayed. It feels a little too close to the release date. And I can't really speak for people outside of California because I haven't traveled outside of California since the Delta variant started having a, a bit of the country it or in the world, I should say. But the general vibe that I'm getting, not that I'm not undermining it, uh, what the, the, the severity of the Delta variant. I just don't feel like people feel as, I don't know, threatened by it per se. Cause like you said, half the country's vaccinated at this point, they are playing it at uh CinemaCon. They're going to screen the movie itself. And I, re- and I also, I think uh, F nine uh, going back to that movie that did really well in China uh, on its opening weekend. And I'm not exactly sure how bad the delta variant is over there in china at the moment but they got a pretty good handle on things from my understanding and also you know shang chi simi lu i believe is he's canadian haha but he is also chinese so i feel like a lot of times marvel they really want to capitalize on the chinese market and maybe it didn't do so well for them with mulan that was a very different story Perhaps they would want to stick to this release date and have some faith that this would do well in the Chinese box office as well with having Simi Liu as a star of it. And I really wanted to come out. I'm half Asian myself. As you know, Mr. John Campia, I'm half Asian myself, so I'm really much excited for this. It comes out on Simi Liu's birthday, and that's also my birthday as well. So I really, just on a personal note, do not want this movie to get delayed because it would feel like just a great birthday celebration overall and yeah i don't think it's uh i I don't suspect it's going to get delayed and i think this is a really strong indicator that it will not be but more importantly that spider-man no way home trailer should be coming out (laughs) at that event i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt it aaron you know i i don't know if you've ever been to CinemaCon or not at the event in vegas at uh caesar's but it sounds like maybe you need to bring greg and i as your plus twos this year well here's the thing CinemaCon cherries (laughs) well Anne obviously can't go she she's working but i will tell you for those of you who may want to go to CinemaCon, you can buy a ticket. You can buy a ticket to CinemaCon. Of course, Wait, that, when is it? It's uh, the last week of August. August, I think it starts August 24th. I think it's the 24th through the 27th. But here's the catch. The ticket is not $50. The ticket is not $70. Oh, no. The ticket is not $150. The ticket is not $300. The oh, ticket is not $500. Ouch. The oh, ticket John, you're is not $800. The ticket is John. not $1,000. The ticket is not $1,200. The ticket is $1,300. If you want a ticket Jeez, to go to what? CinemaCon, 
You got to buy a ticket for $1,300. Uh, by the way, our friend Kevin Cowson's in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, hey, listen, I, I might have to bring somebody with me to do these streams. Maybe we can talk about that, uh, Aaron. Maybe you'll want to come along to, to Vegas because, I mean, the good well, thing is. Well, here's the deal. I, I got suckered into getting a timeshare in Vegas about 15 years ago that I've actually never <laughs> been to. So the three of us could all go. We could stay in my little timeshare in Vegas. I'm the idiot that has it. And uh, Greg and I could just like pass that pass back and forth, you know, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll switch it up. I mean, that fun. I mean, and the journalists who go, I mean, they do give out. I've always gone. I've traditionally gone on the journalist pass. They've normally, they've given me journalist credentials to go. So I have not, although the one year I did straight up buy the ticket. I bought, I straight up bought the ticket one year because I wanted to go to all the things that the journalist pass didn't get you. Cause there are a lot of industry parties and they book out the big clubs as well. And they have these special breakfast events and they do. And I thought one mm-hmm. year, I thought, you know what? I'd like to go to everything. Yeah. And so I wrote it off as a business expense and, and I went and did that. Nice. And I, I'm tempted to do that again this year. Anyway, Aaron, you, you're hearing them saying that they're going to be screening this film. Thank goodness. Uh, at CinemaCon. Does that suggest to you that they are planning on keeping it there? Could it still be up in the air? And, and where's your anticipation level right now for Shang-Chi? Well, to be honest, um, it wasn't really on my radar, but after hearing Greg's enthusiasm for it, it's kind of hard not to be like, yeah, let's go. I mean, if nothing else, then uh, it's a great way to celebrate my new friend's birthday. So uh, that right there is reason enough to go. Um, And, you know, I, I, I appreciate what you guys are saying as far as it being delayed. I don't see this being delayed for for this reason, you know, I I was talking to some friends, um, you know, Tom is in New York right now. And and, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, what's going on with the Delta variant in New York and uh, New York state either just passed or is about to pass an ordinance where it's either New York state or New York city. I'm not exactly sure where New York city, New York city. Thank you. Where, you know, anyone who wants to eat indoors at a restaurant um, or wants to go and sit in a movie theater has to show proof of vaccination. Um, you know, I think that there is really just going to, in the near future, especially in bigger cities, especially cities that um, do have higher vaccination rates that are still, but yet are struggling um, because there's always, you know, because there are holdouts. Um, I, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, those vaccination passes um, where people go, hey, man, we're ready to just move the hell on with our lives. We're ready to be able to go and sit in movie theaters and get back to some sense of whatever the new normal is going to be. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's, you know, your business, but unfortunately your business does affect everybody around you. And so there's going to, I really feel like we're going to enter this segmented society where there's just places that people can go when they're vaccinated and places that people can't go and movie theaters. I would not be surprised uh, if, if other cities followed in New York City's lead, um, especially some of the cities that have larger outbreaks. Um, uh, so, you know, I, but but yeah, I, I'm I'm I do not imagine that this film is going to get pushed. I would be surprised if any films continue to get pushed, especially after what's going on with Scarlett Johansson and Disney. So um, and given the vaccination rates where they are. But yeah, I thank you so much for your enthusiasm, Greg. I'm going to go see this on your birthday in honor of you. And I'm not kidding about that timeshare in Vegas. I really think the three of us, we need a Vegas road trip. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. It'll be my baby moon. I'll I'll tell you guys a true story. I think, uh, Aaron, you know about this, but a number of years ago, now I go to Vegas 
during non-COVID times. I go to Vegas about six times a year. And the reason I go to Vegas about six times a year is because I used to go to Vegas like twice a year and I really love it. And then I had, this is still back in the AMC days. I had somebody write to me and say, um, you know, John, I'm a, I'm a VIP rep for, for Caesars entertainment. Uh, the next time you're coming out to Vegas, hit me up and I, I might be able to set you up with some stuff. And I'm like, cool. Ever since then, whenever I go to Vegas, uh, Caesars has just, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Comped. Yeah. Caesars has just comped us our rooms every time we go. Uh, they've nice. even given us, they've given us like, remember the Rain Man suite in, uh, in Rain Man? They actually gave yeah. us, they've given us the Rain Man suite a few times. <laughs> wow. um, and it's, it's always great. So that's why I can go to Vegas so much is because I don't have to pay for the rooms, but like, but seriously, uh, look, they've never asked me to do this, but they never asked me to plug them. But seriously, guys, if you go to Vegas, Stay at a Caesar's property. Caesar properties, they just, whether it's Caesar's Palace, Planet Hollywood, I mean, all the, they've got about seven of the hotels on the strip are, are Caesar's properties. They are fantastic. And, and really, you got to stay at Caesar's Palace too. Like, if you can, you stay at Caesar's Palace. But anyway, and that's Are you by saying the way, that you're not going to, st- are you saying that you'd rather stay at Caesar's Palace in the Rain Man suite than stay at my. Uh, off your timeshare timeshare <laughs> with three-year-olds pooping in the pool. <laughs> yeah. So you're, it, does, is this the real Caesar's palace? Yeah, I would, I would say stay, uh, by the way, CinemaCon takes place every year in Caesar's palace. Uh, so that's, uh, so it's always handy that that's where it happens there too. All right. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Maybe you live around Las Vegas and you're tempted to get that $1,300 ticket just to go see a week uh, early showing of Shang-Chi. Whatever you guys think, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us with Aaron W., who writes... Hey, John, in a recent article from The Hollywood Reporter about the Suicide Squad, there was a quote in the report from Warner Brothers' Walter Hamada saying that James Gunn will be back. He will be back. Uh, Where'd it go? He will be back uh, because they have more stuff planned. This excites me as I love the Suicide Squad. Would you like to see Gunn make another DC movie? And what property would you like to see him tackle Next. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Aaron. And yeah, of course, uh, you guys heard me talk about it last week. Suicide Squad is everything we hoped it would be. I'm not saying it's a top, you know, we heard some people say it's like a top three greatest comic book film of all time. I don't know that I'd say it's a top three comic book film of all time, but it's magnificent. It's absolutely magnificent. I loved every moment of this. It's not a film that's for everybody because the things that made it appeal so much to me, the visceral uh, nature of it, the gory violence, all that kind of stuff, that's going to make it so it's not for everyone. But oh my God, was it ever for me. And I absolutely love this. Now, of course, we all know the drama that led up to James Gunn doing Suicide Squad in the first place. James Gunn was kind of Kevin Feige's right-hand man for designing and planning out the galactic-level stuff for the MCU. He was, of course, doing his uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He was working on number three. And then suddenly, 10-year-old tweets that he'd put out a decade earlier resurfaced, and a bunch of people got mad that Alan Horn, you know, the dumbest move the great Alan Horn has ever made in his life, he just 
too much knee-jerk reaction. They fired James Gunn and parted ways with him, which mm. caused a literal bidding war to break out in Hollywood between all the studios who were lining up at James Gunn's door, knocking on, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Mr. Gunn. Yeah, we have this dump truck of Spanish gold that we would like to give to you. <laughs> Come on over to our studio and make any movie you want. And that's literally what Warner Brothers told James Gunn. You come over here, make any movie you want. What do you want to make? You want to make a Superman movie? We'll give you Superman. You want to do something different? You go, you, go, you want to do Wonder Woman movie? Wonder Woman was probably the one thing off limits to him because they were doing real good with Patty Jenkins. So Wonder Woman was probably the one thing that was off limits to him. But they, whatever you want to make. And he decided, I want to make Suicide Squad. So he turned down all the other studios, made Suicide Squad. Of course, later, James Gunn and Disney made up, kissed, and now Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is coming. And now that he's done with Suicide Squad, he's going to be now turning all of his attention to doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But the question has remained, what happens after that? Well, this comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who write the following. Though Gunn is returning to the Marvel fold... DC Films president Walter Hamada confirmed to The Hollywood Reporter that there will be more from the filmmaker and DC in the future. Gunn is always welcome back, whatever he wants to do. He really has a vision, and he's a great partner with us. Whenever he wants to come back, we're ready for him, said Hamada, who added, he'll be back. We already have more stuff planned. And that comes to us again from DC's Walter Hamada. Now, look, this to me is fabulous news. Number one, I've always loved the idea because it was kind of in the, it's not as bad today as it was a couple of years ago, but when this all went down initially was still when it was a pretty toxic environment of the Marvel DC slave fanboys and the, uh, the, the Marvel corporate slave fanboys and the DC corporate slave fanboys. I mean, it, it was really, really toxic. And then we had this director and I was like, okay, great. Now we've got this director who's done Marvel movies and is doing DC movies. It's kind of like, I don't know, the, the Capulets and what's the other family name in Romeo? The Montagues. The Montagues and the Capulets have you know, marrying something to, to bring peace to the kingdoms and everything. But what I really love <laughs> is the idea that Gunn may start bouncing back and forth because, you know, he's not just going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3, guys. He's not just going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3 with Marvel. He's going to do more with Marvel after that. And now we have Hermata saying he's going to do more with DC as well. And I personally love the idea of having a great filmmaker like James Gunn going back and forth and making movies for both properties. I think it's fantastic. After seeing what he did with DC and, and with Suicide Squad, I cannot wait to see him come back. And I'll tell you what else. I wasn't all that stoked for this peak Peacemaker series, this John Cena Peacemaker series coming to HBO Max. Oh, hell, I am now. After watching mm -hmm. Suicide Squad, I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm on board for this. Anyway, Aaron, let me ask you this. Um, you haven't had a chance to see Suicide Squad yet, obviously. But hearing that... You know, they the studio is so happy with this. And apparently James Gunn loved his experience working with them. What does this say to you? And what are your impressions hearing that he is going to be back to do more films with DC? Well, if I may be so bold as to sidestep your question, only because, first of all, I, I, I do want to point out that while the Capulets and the Montagues eventually did reconcile their family squabble, um, it did take the double suicide of two teenagers in order to make that happen. Yes. So it wasn't yes, totally I do happy. 
you know, and it's kind of like the East Coast, West Coast. We had to lose Biggie and Tupac in order to make that happen. It wasn't exactly a happy story. <laughs> um, and I'm actually going to let you and you, you and Greg being um, being that I think that you have much uh, wider uh depths of knowledge about uh, James Gunn and, and the entire situation. But I, I, I'm going to I want to talk about something a little bit different in that I just feel like this is such a beautiful example of, you know, we all in our lives have a moment where something happens where either we screw up or just something happens and it feels like the whole world is crumbling around us and everything that we have worked so hard for is gone and has been taken away. And I obviously don't know James Gunn. I didn't talk to him in those moments when, you know, that was coming down from Alan Horn and the entire internet was exploding over whether or not he should be, you know, canceled forever or given another shot. I, 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 don't, I don't know what was going on in his head, but from an outsider perspective, I think it is really uh, a, a nice reminder that no matter how bad things seem in the moment, you never know if that thing that cause your entire world to fall down will ultimately be the catalyst for everything that you want all of your mm -hmm. dreams to come true. And so, you know, who knew that it took this resurfacing of old tweets and Alan Horn making a snap decision for all of Hollywood to realize that they all wanted a piece of James Gunn. Um, and, and, it, and, it, and so I just, I, I'm going to let you and you and Greg take the, the filmmaking part of it. But for me, the thing that sticks out about this story is just, wow, what a beautiful way to, to see how, um, you know, when you handle a bad situation with grace um, and you, you know, cause he could have easily just fired off and been a complete, you know, he could have said some really awful things in that moment, but he handled it with grace. And, uh, and, and, and ultimately now he's, he's be, you know, quickly becoming one of the Kings of Hollywood. And I say good for him. And apparently we lost Greg, Greg, are you still with us or is just your oh, camera go bad. off? Oh, that thingy. Yeah, I forgot about oh, that. Yeah, so yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So let me sorry. guess. You use the Canon camera. The Canon camera the cannon. turns off every 30 I minutes. Use the but at least Pulled an Aaron. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, Greg, let me ask, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that, Aaron, because, yeah, you, he went from, like, the 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 the, the bottom of the barrel, like, with the, the so publicly being shamed and being that, and now, arguably, you could make an argument he might be the most important director in the world of comic book films right now at this moment, and it's it's kind of funny what led him to this point. Anyway, Greg, you, you hear this report now, Walter Mott is saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's going to be back. What do you think about this, is James Gunn now doing, you know, he did his Guardians 2, then he went over to DC to do Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, by the way. Now he's going back over to Marvel to do Guardians 3, then he's going to go back over to DC. I, I don't know. What do you make of it? I think it sounds great, but how are you feeling about it? I feel like right when I saw the, the, like the trailers for the Suicide Squad, it was incredibly apparent that he's probably going to have a much more involved ongoing relationship with DC more than Marvel moving forward because he has been very open and vocal about how he's gotten all this creative freedom and liberties with the film. And a lot of times directors say that, but when you watch this movie, you're like, Oh, he was not lying. <laughs> they let him do whatever he wanted to do unapologetically, no restraints whatsoever. And 
when you can be able to do something so bizarre and weird, borderline ethereal, and that violent, it's like so madcap, and make it make it something great that people will respond to. He's really be able to do something where he doesn't have to answer to too many people to the point where it's tampering with his vision. Because I really feel like the Suicide Squad way more than the Guardians. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy, I really love the first one a lot. I don't feel like this movie is... Some people will try to compare them automatically just because comic book movie, James Gunn. But I don't feel like it's like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Yeah, comic book movie, ensemble. But that's about as far as it goes for me in terms of being like Guardians of the Galaxy. This really is his own unique vision that you are going on a roller coaster ride for. So after experiencing this movie, as much as I love his involvement with uh, Marvel, I actually am more excited about what he can bring to the table with DC moving forward. I, I like him, and I feel like he feel like he wants to. He's talked about a couple of times now of after Guardians three, I'm I'm probably done. He said that like, after Guardians three, I'm probably done. Yeah, and he seems I don't, really, I don't believe that. Just for the record, I don't believe that yeah, at all. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if he'll like continue the Guardians movies. I'm sure he'll be involved creatively somehow. But I feel like for films that he wants to like helm a lot more I, I feel like it'll probably be the dc route and like they just let him choose whatever character he wants you know like with with polka dot man he said that he discovered this character from typing in who's the dumbest superhero and he found <laughs> polka dot man and then you watch the movie and i'm like polka dot man's great in this polka film. dot man's and the shit i love awesome. polka dot man in this thing yeah and, and that actor you know like people are often speculating about what could be another movie that James Gunn does within DC. And uh, I talked to that actor. Uh, I, I always get his last name wrong, but it's like David Dasmalchen, Dasmalchen and something like that. And uh, he's worked with James Gunn a couple of times by this point. He's been in a lot of comic book movies. He's the guy in the dark Knight who, who shoots Gordon, who he yep. thinks he does. Uh, he's an ant man. He's in the Gotham show. He's in the flash show. He's in Batman. He's in one some of the Batman uh, animated stuff. But anyway, um, I even talked to him and without giving like spoilers away uh, at all for this movie. I want to keep everything a surprise. He was opening up to me uh, about how he's was diagnosed with the disease of uh, vitiligo, which is like causes loss of skin color in patches. Now, without spoiling anything, you could see why this role was so personal for the actor when you watch the movie itself. And in the film, it's, it introduces sort of a body horror element. And you don't really know what his journey was leading into being captured by Amanda Waller and being thrust into the, you don't know what led him there necessarily. So I was like, man, it'd be really cool for this guy to finally get his own like solo. He's doing a peacemaker show with John Cena, but if he was able to do something that's like a body horror film with polka dot man, that would be really cool and and explore the traumatic roots with him. I was also thinking like, I think if they're going to, I think James Gunn could nail a Swamp Thing movie. And I, I, that's something they've oh, been trying to do. For, yeah, they've been trying to do that for years. And they even had a show that got canceled while it was airing. And it's like, I'm thinking about James Gunn's time with when he did the movie Slither, which was so like Still gross my and number icky. one favorite James Gunn film. Still my favorite right? one of his. It's yeah. Brilliant super, soundtrack. Yeah. It's, it's pure James Gunn, super fun, super violent, icky, gross, body horror, creature feature. And I'm like, dang, he would do the perfect Swamp Thing film. And so I want him to stick with DC so he could do stuff like that. And I feel I, I feel like people would be so jazzed about him doing Swamp Thing because 
So the Suicide Squad kind of has moments that hint at horror and some are like just straight up horror. Um, so I think if he was able to kind of throw his style, his sense of horror and amuse, uh, amusement into uh, a Swamp Thing movie, I think that'd be really cool. And I feel like for the first time, they wouldn't finally nail Swamp Thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I would I would love him to to stick with DC. And, and I'm, I'm excited about his future there. The one thing that makes it feel like DC could be a little bit more of a natural home for him is the fact that, you know, Marvel is with tremendous success and so great rationale, Marvel is going to stick in the PG-13 realm with the exception of Deadpool, which Kevin Feige has already talked Mm -hmm. about that. And James Gunn, while he has crushed it with PG-13 with Guardians of the Galaxy, He's just more nat. I mean, coming out of the trauma background, and everything. He just seems more naturally comfortable in an environment where he can just go batshit crazy if he wants to. Like if he just wants <laughs> yeah. to go completely nuts and really push the limits on things, and it just seems like a little bit more of a natural fit. Anyway, guys, the question is for you: What do you think about this? That James Gunn already has planned stuff to go back and do more with DC. I personally think that's very exciting. How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Dylan Hooten, who writes... Hey, John and Aaron, and we're also joined by Greg today. Um, I was reading about the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit on The Hollywood Reporter earlier, and they included a part where a few producers, including Jason Blum of Blumhouse, were saying that streaming movies were basically going to be the death of quality movies, since in streaming, they don't actually care if the movies are good, just that they're cheap. What did you make of their comments. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, you're right. It was funny because it was in the midst of this article on the Hollywood reporter that was basically talking about Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit with Disney and the fact that you can expect uh, a whole bunch more lawsuits are coming too, at least according to them. But within this article, they also start talking to Jason Blum, of course, from Blumhouse. They've been killing it. That studio is just killing it. But they've all, and they're talking to some unnamed producers as well. And by the way, uh, the wonderful Connie Sang sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Connie. Um, And by the way, Anne is totally open to talking to you about project management. Just want to say that to Connie. Anyway, um, they they brought up something else where Jason and this these other two producers started talking about the very nature of streaming movies, and kind of indicating that the basically worst kept secret in Hollywood that all the producers and everybody knows is that, yeah, streaming is basically going to be the death of quality movies, at least to them. Now, look, here's basically what their, their point on this or their whole notion on this comes from the idea is this. So we're going to read this quote from them in a second. And you know what? Yeah, we'll read that quote from them in a second, but this is kind of where the concern comes from that, you know, in a, uh, in a, uh, We'll just call it T-H-E. In a theatrical movie, you have to do as good a job as possible because the better the movie, the more money you make. Now, some of you may be looking at your screens right now and saying, John, 
Just because a movie's good doesn't mean it's going to make money. Oh, of course, you're absolutely right, 100%. But the better your movie is, the more money it will, even if the movie's a flop, if your movie's good, it will have made more money than if it was not good because at least a few people would have said, you know what, that that one movie, Charlie and his pet rat, the movie, that's a, totally made up. Charlie and his pet rat, that was actually really, really good. And so a few other people check it out. Maybe they watch it themselves and maybe it still ends up being a flop. But generally speaking, and there are obviously exceptions, but generally speaking, the better, while a good movie doesn't automatically mean you're going to make money, the better it is, the more you will make, even if it ends up taking a loss, generally speaking. With streaming, they take a gym membership uh, philosophy. The whole idea, the way gyms make money is not by you coming to the gym. The way gyms make money is you buying your membership and never going to the gym. That's mm-hmm. how they make their money. And the whole concept of the streaming services are if we can get people signed up for the service, studies have shown people will will keep paying for a service they're on a monthly thing for for years, even if they never use it, even if they never use it. And researching this story last night made me start going through my bank statements. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, I'm still paying for that? Like so like a little mm-hmm. $5.99 charge a month that I just totally yeah. forgot about, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is the whole principle of streaming. And it's, it's, it's a proven business model, guys. It's a proven business model. But that's the idea of streaming is that they don't need an individual movie to be as good as it can possibly be because their actual financial destiny is connected to how well, how good that movie ends up being. It doesn't matter. A a great example of this is Gunpowder Milkshake, which, I mean, look good. It generates excitement. They were able to put some names in it. At the end of the day, it was a piece of shit. And, you know, as somebody who was really excited about it, and nine out of every 10, hell, 9.7 out of every 10 Netflix movies are absolute pieces of shit. But it doesn't matter because Netflix um, adopts a quantity over quality. As long as we keep putting out new movies, tons of new movies, tons, tons of new content, it doesn't matter if it's good or not. The people who are subscribers will just keep subscribing. Now, the reason I brought all that up is because there's a really interesting part in this um, in this article, where Jason Blum and the producer talk a little bit more about that as terms of one of the motivations for movies wanting. Now, Jason Blum doesn't think they're going to be able to do it, but one of the motivations for movie studios wanting to move more to a streaming model. And this is really interesting. Listen to what they say here. Um, they say the following. Okay, so what the streamers are betting on, says a producer. What the streamers are betting on is that in the next three to five years, there will only be three or four of them left pumping content into homes. So we all know right now, guys, right now is the wild, wild west of streaming, right? We've got everybody with a streaming network now. We got Amazon and Disney and Paramount Plus, and we've got <laughs> Peacock, although I love the service, still a stupid name. And we've got 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 more. What this producer is saying is, What a lot of these streaming services are banking on is that just like in a lot of other new, when new technology, new things come out, there's a whole bunch and then it gets widowed down. And they're saying that these big streamers like Disney, 
like Netflix, like HBO Max, they're betting on that in four or five years, there's really only going to be three, four or five major ones left limiting the choice that consumers have. So he goes on to say this. What they're really banking on is that there will only be three or four of them left pumping content into homes. And they'll be so powerful that they will be able to push the price down of producing and of paying talent and of paying producers and of paying writers and of paying directors, says Jason Blum. I personally don't think they'll be able to do it, but that's what I'm that's what they are betting on. Another prominent producer thinks that they will be able to do it, but doesn't think that it will be good for the industry. Now, listen to this. This is where it gets really interesting. From this point on, it's just going to be work for hire, says the producer. It's a huge sea change for everyone. You'll still get a huge payment up front, but just not going to be a huge home runs anymore. And with time, those fees will get pushed down and they will get smaller. But having been offered such deals, this person says, it doesn't matter. Listen, this is a producer saying this. Listen to this. It doesn't matter to me whether my movie is a huge hit or not. The pressure's off. He doesn't want to embarrass himself, but the project just needs to be good enough to get the next deal. This may help explain why so many movies that are made for streamers seem so lackluster. It doesn't matter, says the producer, if my movie's great or not. It doesn't matter. They already paid me my fee. doesn't matter. As long as I make the movie just good enough for them to hire me to do another movie, that's all that matters. There's no longer any incentive. There's no longer any... You know, the, my personal success is now connected to the success of the movie, which is an extreme incentive for a lot of creatives and all that kind of stuff. And it's just not there anymore. And then Jason Blum follows up by agreeing with that. And he says this, Jason Blum concurs on a streaming movie. If you're not participating in the upside or the downside, I think that compromises the creative process, Blum says. He's counting on a ton of lawsuits in the upcoming months and hopes that eventually there will be sharing and streaming just like there has been for 50 years in business and so on and so forth. The basic thing, though, here that they're kind of discussing is that, listen, under the in the theatrical model. Now, look, everybody knows I'm a big theatrical guy. OK, so take what I say on this topic with the grain of salt that, you know, I'm a very, very pro theatrical guy. I, I have every streaming service. I'm a big fan of streaming too, but I am, I am at my core a theatrical guy. So, you know, just giving you that up front. So take what I say with a grain of salt, but sure. with the theatrical model, there's huge incentive because every single movie can be life and death for your career. Like you make content because the better the content, the more money you can make. Your, your personal financial success can be tied to the financial success of the movie. There is incentive built in there to do as great as you can because if you're Warner Brothers and you put out a subpar movie and you put in subpar effort on the marketing of that movie and you put in subpar effort and how much you're willing to pay certain talent and so you settle for talent level B or level C or whatever, blah, 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 blah it's going to hurt your bottom line. But it won't do that on streaming. It won't do that on streaming. All you need to do is crank out enough quantity to get people to sign up. And then like gym memberships, they're not going to unsubscribe. I mean, even when everybody says, I'm not, remember after Mandalorian season one and there was no new premium original content on Disney plus for like a year. How many people, including this jackass that said, oh, 
Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna discontinue. I'm gonna unsubscribe from Disney Plus uh, until the new premium stuff comes. We never did. This, this, everybody says, "Oh, I did," but the statistics show no one did. Everybody stays subscribed. I'm sure some people did, but not enough to affect anything. And that's what they're counting on. And now you got these producers saying, "Yeah, this this compromises the creative process. You are not going to see. You're still going to see some great movies." but not the same ratio anymore because generally speaking, while you have your odd diamond in the rough, the Irishman old guard, uh, and, and there are a few others as well. The fact of the matter is nine out of 10 of them are gunpowder milkshake. Nine out of 10 of them end up being these really disappointing. It's like, Oh, so you just kind of took some script and threw a big star into it and you tricked us into watching it, but it was really subpar and nobody obviously gave a shit about it. That's what the majority of these movies are going to be now. And anyway, I just thought it was interesting guys hearing this coming from guys like Jason Blum and guys like, and, and other producers in Hollywood saying, Hey, I, I no longer have an incentive to make the best movie I possibly can. Now I just need to make it good enough that I can get the next deal to crank out the next piece of quantity content to go out on Netflix or whatever the other services. Anyway, I thought it was really eye-opening. By the way, Chris Profs sends in a super chat badge and live chat. Thank you, Chris. Greg, let me ask you this. Yes, because sir. Because as now, it's fair to call you YouTuber slash screenwriter. Uh, as a filmmaker yourself, you know, what do you think about these comments and 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 how? what's your kind of point of view on this whole thing? It's a fascinating one. You know, I, I know Aaron passed off the last immediate question to to us, but I, I would say that Aaron would probably be more qualified to answer this one directly more than I would, because like I only have one script, right? My, I have one script that's with one studio right now. That's my first one. And I was kind of like, ooh, cool contract. Yay. And so I just got excited <laughs> at the opportunity. I'm like, I'm finally doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not. I'm not as well versed in this. So this was an eye opener to me about the future of what all this can lead to, because I get what he's saying. Essentially, like bottom line from the last statement that Jason Blum was saying is that if you're not involved in like profit participation, like I like box office points, you know, like what Scarlett Johansson was fighting for with Disney, um, then not having that incentive, he was saying, can undermine the creative process because you're not incentivized for how this film can do uh, long term or weeks from when it's released and yada, yada, yada. So I, I understand that because you could probably wind up in a situation where you got a lot of Bruce Willis's on your hand. A lot of people yeah. were just like, let me That's show up. That's a great yeah. example. <laughs> that is a perfect you know, example. So. I, I can understand the, what the concern is of what he's getting at. But I also think it kind of just depends on what stage in the game you're at when agreeing to do these streaming flicks. Because, like you mentioned, The Irishman. And no studio was willing to do what Martin Scorsese wanted to do it like. And he was able to bring a passion project to life and was very grateful to Netflix for the process and how he was able to do it. Um Zack Snyder, uh, who is, you know, has a really big reputation for his uh, disputes with Warner Brothers, like a major studio. He has been uh, very like he praises Netflix uh, significantly for uh, getting Army of the Dead off the ground and wants to keep this relationship ongoing. So it seems like for these big studio, like these directors who have worked with big studios, if they have a project in mind where they have a lot of passion for it, I think they're in 
they feel secure enough to work with Netflix still, even without these participations. Because we're talking with producers. And, you know, Zack Snyder producer himself, Martin Scorsese producer himself, but they're also directors. And then we were talking like a producer like Jason Blum, who's all about that money, you know, make things for cheap. <laughs> he's like, he's ta- he makes things. He, it's funny hearing the quotes from him because I'm like, Blumhouse produces so many things that I don't feel like most of them are great. <laughs> uh, but he makes, <laughs> and he makes things for, he makes things for, uh, uh, yeah, he has the reputation for doing like, low budget films that have high profit and i get what he's getting at but you know like i think with the it, and if you're an up-and-comer like for me if my if the script that i have if they were like hey we want to put it on netflix i would be like cool i'm not going to get any like profit participation points in it but i would be really happy if it did just because of where i'm at at my stage in the screenwriting game i would be happy with that but then you also got like Adam McKay, who's right now doing a film with the stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence and a whole bunch of other people. And that, from my understanding, is another passion project of his. So I do think that ultimately what this comes down to is who uh, the people the who, who's agreeing to it at what stage in the game they are at with filmmaking, like what their expectations are after being in this business for so long. Like Jason Blum's been in it for so long that at this point he would expect to have the profit participation uh, after a film is released. But then some people want their passion projects. Some people just want to get their name out there. I think it really all just depends on, you know, the the individual at the time but i don't think it immediately equates to lack of quality i i can't say that because yes are there we've already seen it we like we go to netflix now and you see the ratio of quality good movie to pieces of junk it's already kind of right there in front of us yeah I mean, but I'm thinking what when Jason Blum is the kind of individuals Jason Blum is talking about are like the bigger filmmakers. Do you, you know what I mean? Like the kind of the the people in the circle that he's sort of referring to. Because uh, a lot of the times with these Netflix originals, a lot of them I haven't. Does it, but does I don't know if I can fully agree with that. Still, I mean, what you're saying because does does that mean like what what's a what's a recent movie that was getting promoted i mean let me just ask what's a recent movie that was getting promoted that was direct to streaming that ultimately lacked in quality the, I, uh, the last two that i saw uh jolt and uh gunpowder milkshake really excited about even, both of them they put names in them they put you know the stars in them and they were just utter garbage i mean all it, film is subjective all film is subjective so i'm exactly. sure some people watch them and enjoyed them but generally the I, response has been pretty negative as i remember like fierce fear street for the most part ha- seemed to have a pretty positive response fear street, and that was very fear street did the, the three-parter the one week after the other that that's yeah. gotten fairly good re- i still haven't watched that one myself but that has gotten that's one that's gotten good responses but i feel like it's like the ratio is nine to one like well, for yeah, every, they're... and that's that's the problem. <laughs> See, here's the interesting thing, though, because if when we go back to this one comment, it, it's going to be about pricing as well. Because what this one producer is saying is that from this point on, it's just going to be work for hire. It's a huge sea change for everybody. You'll still get a huge payment up front, right? But that's going to be. It's not going to be huge home runs anymore. And with time, those fees are going to get smaller and smaller. So basically, what the idea here of the studios is, what mm. this guy is saying, is going to be happening as they, as the the streamers start uh, to monopolize things, they will be able. The market won't dictate what a talent or a creative or a producer or a director can make anymore. They will be able to dictate what um, 
uh, what, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm like, uh, compensation uh, is, right? <laughs> Compostation? I have a spelling. Today. Anyway, they're saying that over time, what this producer is saying, that the goal for them is to push fees lower and lower and lower because they'll be in a monopolistic position where they can just dictate what they're paying for these things. And this is the long-term goal. And I think that's what, what Jason was referring to when he said like, this is ultimately, this is going to affect the creative process because as they start to push fees lower and lower and lower and lower, they're going to be willing to pass up on Mm -hmm. the best filmmakers that come out because it's more important for quantity over quality. And as long as once a year, we put out an Irishman. As long as once a year uh, we put out, what was the name of the one, uh, the Mexican film that came out that was all in black and white and got nominated for Best Picture? Roma. Roma, Thank you. As long as once a year you put out a Roma, then it'll create this artificial impression about your movies when you put out 71 other movies that year that are completely terrible. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, It's an interesting landscape. Aaron, like you have, you know, you were just recently on a streaming show. Like when you did Lucifer, it was now a Netflix show. Oh, I was like, I was? Was I? Yeah. When you did Lucifer, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I've done so I much. I forget. <laughs> when you did Lucifer, it was like a, a streaming only show. I'm just curious with your experience on so much network television, which I guess in TV, uh, TV terms, it would be, that's the equivalent, I guess, to theatrical uh, versus mm-hmm. being streaming. What was your, ex- was there, a, was there any noticeable difference in your experience between doing like a streaming show versus like a network show? Um, well, you know, I mean, first of all, I, I think the difference, it's hard for me to speak specifically about that because on Lucifer, I just did one episode, but you know, I, I am also very close with one of the of the show and so uh you know she's you know she's a series regular talking about leslie and brand of course um you know so i i know a lot about her experience most of my contract experience has been with network television um although spartacus was stars so yeah okay yeah yeah, so all right um but that was also in the very early early stages i mean that they basically paid me like you know two packets of ketchup and we're like, you know, <laughs> fly your ass to New Zealand. Good luck. Um, and, and so, and then i got on a network series and I was like, Oh, this is what actors are supposed to be paid. Oh, this is how actors are supposed to be treated. Oh, wow. Um, you know, things, but, but one of the things that, um, uh, you know, is not being taken into consideration when we're talking about, they're just going to be lowering, lowering, lowering. It's not like studios just go, Hey, random director, do you want to make this for $10? Okay, cool. Oh, but you'd rather make it for $9? Okay, then we're going to pay you $9 because you're cheaper. The DGA, the Directors Guild of America, the WGA, the Writers Guild, and to a lesser extent, SAG-AFTRA for the actors. <laughs> uh, you know, the DGA and the WGA are very powerful unions and there are minimums. So it's not like these studios can just, you know, try to lowball, lowball, lowball. There are minimums that people are required based on the budget of the project of how much you have to pay someone. Yes, obviously profit participation is not part of that. That's a whole separate thing, but that's where we get into producing. 
when it comes to a director for hire, you know, which is how it had been for the majority of history. You know, this whole profit participation idea is relatively new in the scheme of Hollywood, you know, um, like in the in the 30s and the 40s and the, and the 50s, profit participation did not exist, you know, Um Similarly, with television, proper participation didn't exist until that was restructured. Um, so first of all, my first point is the unions will dictate the minimums. And as things continue to progress, as streaming becomes more of the norm, the guilds and the unions will be observant of that and will go, OK, in the same way that, you know, when we look at DVDs and V or VHS at the time, you know, there have always been these massive shifts in the industry. When we went from silent films to the talkies, I mean, you look back in history and people were like, oh my God, it's going to ruin the movie industry. All these people blathering on. We're not used to movies like that. This is going to destroy the entertainment industry. And it completely changed it for the better. Um, you know, fast forwarding in history when we started having, like I was just talking about, blockbuster video. You know, how is what we're experiencing now with streaming garbage any different from those straight to video movies that were garbage? You know, the studios were pumping out their films that would go into theaters. I mean, you guys are like old as me. So you under, you remember when it used to be the difference between uh, you knew if a movie was going to be a good movie because it was going to be in theaters. And you knew if a movie was going to be a bad movie because it was going straight to video. Right, right. And that was kind of the differentiation was mm -hmm. those straight to video movies were cheaply made. Um, you know, they were you, you weren't we're not going to be able to see them at the theater. Um, and. And, and you would go find them at Blockbuster when there was nothing else or the or the movie that you really wanted there were was all gone, you know, had already been rented and they didn't have any more copies of it. Wow. Those were the days. Um, and, and then similarly in television, when you started having reality television, everybody said, oh, my God, reality TV is going to destroy television. And what did reality TV do? It actually created a new birth of television. It actually made television better because, you know, there's obviously always going to be the NCISs, the procedurals, the CSIs, by the way, new CSI being rebooted this fall, which second episode, my husband, Tom Degnan is in, um, you know, there's always <laughs> going to be those procedurals, but then you have all of a sudden these shows like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and Sopranos that came out of that as kind of a backlash to reality television. So while yes, to a certain degree, I do agree with Jason Blum, uh, you know, he's not wrong in that these streamers will be pumping out as like a sewage line full of garbage. At the end of the day, we have to also remember that people don't enter the entertainment industry to get rich. People become you know, investment bankers to get rich. People go to other, you don't become an artist because you want to make a lot of money. The people that actually make money at all are in the very, very, very small minority. I consider myself blessed that I don't have to wait tables anymore, but am I rich? No. You know, am I making, am I, am I able to sue Disney? 
No, I'm not at that place. You know, and just like Greg said, it really depends on where you are in your career. But at the end of the day, we don't artists don't create art to get rich. And there are always going to be those people that just go, okay, I just want to pump out content to just have a steady paycheck. And I have, I I don't, I'm like, cool, you do you. I have no issues with you wanting to put food on your table for your family. Um, But, but the idea that as an entertainment industry, as a whole, we're ever going to get to a point where quality doesn't matter I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that we're going to go through a very bizarre period where we do see a lot of garbage, but ultimately what's going to happen is there is going to be a renaissance. And I don't know what's on the other side of that, but if I knew that shows like, you know, Jersey shore, were going to contribute to being able to be blessed with shows, you know, like, I don't know. Killing Eve is one that pops into my head just, uh, you know, off the top of my head. Hacks that I just finished watching that I absolutely love. Uh, You know, I would say, okay, you know, let's let's break a few bones to be able to, you know, walk a little taller. It's it's Mm -hmm. funny. I don't even know if that made sense. I think we are we're already seeing it happen. But what's interesting, too, in the midst of all this is. There seems to be a much greater emphasis and attention to quality put into the series that are on streaming as opposed to standalone movies. Let's just look at Disney plus for a second, right? They got Mandalorian and then they put out one division and, you know, they do, they kill it. What have their original movies been a really bad lady in the tramp rendition and a whore. Remember that Noel Remember the one uh, where oh, yeah. she, she's uh, Santa Claus's daughter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the girl from Pitch Perfect. Why am I freezing on her Anna name? Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Anna oh, I Kendrick. I love Anna Kendrick. I love Anna Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Right? She's so great. Their series, they kill it. At least their premium series, they're killing it. Their original well, movies, hmm, suckage. Netflix. I'm not saying every single original series on Netflix is great, but for the most part, I mean, you look at their history. Whether it's like House of Cards, Stranger Things, I mean, uh, The Crown, uh, on and on and on. There's so much quality emphasis put into their series, which have a bigger impact, I think, on their stuff. Well, they have they're, to keep them co- They have to keep yeah, them coming. Keep back. Them coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their original films, completely the opposite experience. Like, yeah, every once in a while a Netflix original series isn't great. Every once in a while, it's completely the opposite with their original movies. Every once in a while, you'll get a good one. Every Mood. once in a while, but for the most part, it's it's terrible, and it's really. But interesting I think that to that's that also part of. I think that that's also part of the evolution because if you look at a show like WandaVision, um, which is you know a standalone series, there's not going to be a season two. Sadly, I was really bummed, um, but I get it. You know, y- y- it, it had a perfect beginning, middle, and end, and the show needed to end when it was. So, is it that their series? are overtaking their films or is it more that these series are becoming a hybrid of what television used to be Mm -hmm. and what film used to be. And now instead of watching an hour and a half or a two hour movie, audiences are really enjoying being able to watch a six hour movie in parts or an eight hour movie Mm -hmm. in parts. And that's part of what I'm talking about is this Renaissance is, you know, will the two hour film ever die? No, I don't think that it will because we're going to want to be able to have those standalones. And, and 
also in the same way that when I was a journalism major, you know, in college 20 years ago, we were talking about this newfangled thing called the Internet and how that was going to destroy print media. And yes, in some ways, it definitely has 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 caused print media to to plummet in the last several decades. But newspapers are still printed. There will still be films in theaters because people will always want to have that experience, I believe. Um, and so I think that like, when you talk about these streaming shows, you're talking about these shows that are not the same as a CSI that goes on for 22 episodes, a blacklist, a procedural. You're talking about a six-hour movie. You're talking about a 10-hour movie. And then when the second season comes out, you're talking about another eight-hour sequel. And that's kind of the differentiation that I see is that these films are being, these television or these, excuse me, streaming series are being produced like epic films, not like TV shows. True. Question is for you guys. There's a lot of interesting points of view on this. How do you guys see all this with the transition? How have your, what has your experience been like with, with streaming series versus the streaming movies and all that kind of stuff? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, we're going to go into your live comments and questions here in just a second. But first, we're going to take this time because we're almost at 1130 already. So we're going to take this time to say goodbye and thank you to the wonderful Aaron Cummings. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. And oh, there's Joey Bishop. (laughs) Hello, Joey. She's been sleeping on her little pillow next to me. She's like, hello. She was so great. She came over to visit the other day, too, when Aaron came over. It's so good to see her. Aaron, in the meantime, where can people follow you online? Oh, you can come visit us at Aaron L. Cummings on Instagram. Um, uh, Or, you know, you can head over to babylist.com slash babydegnan if you want to get us a little special treat. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course... Greg Alba. Greg, thanks again for being here uh, again, my friend. In the meantime, where can people follow you and all your stuff online? Yeah, I'm at the Greg Alba on social media and uh, our YouTube channel, The Real Rejects, uploading all the time. going to film for it right now, upload later. But I had to, I prioritized the John Campia show today. And that don't forget first. to get and your, Greg, get remind your us again when up. you're. Greg, remind us again when your birthday is so that we can all go and uh, see uh, the film and celebrate you. <laughs> the day Shang-Chi comes out, September 3rd. This Asian man's going to be celebrating a much more famous Asian man that day. <laughs> and, and again, don't forget to get your free guy uh, review up now that you know yeah. that the uh, review embargo is lifted. <laughs> Gotta rush. <yeah. laughs> all right, guys, thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to both of you again soon. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you. All right, Thank ladies you, and gentlemen, bye. Aaron Cummings and Greg Alba. We'll have them, of course, back again. Always awesome to have them here and their perspectives as well. All right, guys, listen, for the remainder of the show here, we got some of your live comments and questions. We're going to go over and start getting to those right now. And we're going to start things off here with an anonymous viewer who writes, Hey, John, uh, congrats. You have been selected as the new Disney CEO. I'm going to take the headphones off now. You've been selected as the new D- Disney CEO. That is terrible news for Disney. Uh, your path is clear. Oops. Here's a pandemic. Let's take away almost all your revenue streams. Oh, and your predecessor spent all your excess capital right before you arrived. Good luck. Yeah, listen, one of the things that I have said about the Bob Chapek situation and why I mentioned a few days ago that I said, you know, you probably got to give him another t- couple of years was because you cannot forget 
as bad of a job as I think Bob Chapek has done, you cannot forget that he didn't exactly take over Disney under ideal circumstances. He literally took over the throne in the midst of a global pandemic that was not just shutting down movie theaters, it was also shutting down their parks, which is, of course, their main thing. It was shutting everything down. And again, I still think he has made terrible moves and made terrible decisions, but he was in a very difficult situation. And I don't think we should take that away. And I think we need to keep that in mind whenever we're talking about, you know, Bob Chapek and what he's doing. You, you got you to gotta acknowledge that, man. He did not take over under ideal circumstances. All right, next up, uh, BK Dan writes, John, in the 2000s, we had Harry Potter. In the 2010s, we had the MCU. My question, what kind of prediction will be the, the in thing for 2020s for movies and, and the movie going experience? Impossible to say. Completely impossible to say. It's it's just going to have to be something that just comes along and catches everybody's attention. You know, it comes out of nowhere. You know, Harry Potter, I think the first book, guys, correct me in the live chat uh, if I'm wrong, because I'm not a Potterhead, but I think the first book came out in 97, 98. Is that when the first Harry Potter movie, uh, the first Harry Potter book came out? So, I mean, that kind of, uh, Sean Patrick is saying 96, Mark and Quirky Jero is saying nine, everybody else is saying 97. Okay, so... Let's say 97 for argument's sake, right? That came out of nowhere, right? The Harry Potter books just came out of nowhere. And then very quickly in, in movie life cycles, in very quickly, they started adapting those things into movies, right? So what the next big thing will be, I don't think we've seen what it is yet. So it's going to be something that kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of just kind of grabs the pop cultural consciousness and uh, kind of goes. Until then, won't really know. But it's a good question, BK. All right, next up, Alex writes, Hey, John, I just picked up the Shang-Chi, or sorry, the Shanghai Noon slash Shanghai Nights double feature Blu-ray, and it got me to thinking, where is Shanghai Dawn? Uh, would you like to see a third installment of the franchise? Also, would you rather Shanghai Dawn or Rush Hour 4? And by the way, Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. Um, here's the thing. Shanghai Noon was awesome. It was really, I mean, I had already known about Jackie Chan because when I was a kid, I used to walk to the local video store and just buy Kung and just rent Kung Fu movies. And that's where I kind of discovered Jackie Chan. Shanghai Noon was not Jackie Chan's first big North American thing. He had done Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx is really Jackie Chan's big introduction to the North American audience. But so he, he was already there, but it was really my introduction to Owen Wilson. Now, Owen Wilson had been around before Shanghai Noon, but that was the movie that really introduced me to him. And I love their chemistry together. Owen Wilson and, and Jackie Chan's chemistry was fantastic in Shanghai Noon. And I loved it. Then they did Shanghai Night. and Or Shanghai Nights. That movie was terrible, in my opinion. It was absolutely terrible. I still loved um, I still loved the chemistry between Owen and Jackie, but the movie was really bad. And I think that's why we never ended up getting a Shanghai Dawn is because, I mean, everybody just thought that Shanghai Nights one was just terrible. And whatever magic had been there with Shanghai Noon, which I still love that movie, uh, was kind of gone. As far as which one I'd rather see, a Shanghai Dawn or a Rush Hour 4, neither, neither. I loved 
uh, Rush Hour 2. I did. But overall, I'm not a huge fan of that franchise. I thought 1 was poor. I thought 3 was terrible. I love 2, though. I don't know why I love 2 so much, but I do. I think I thought 2 was great. But honestly, I really wouldn't pay to see either. Uh, I really wouldn't pay to see Shanghai Dawn or Rush Hour 4, even though they each have a film in their franchise that I really, really enjoy. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, uh, Darla Barnes or Burns writes, Hey, John, first time tipping. Well, thank you for being here, uh, but I've been watching a lot. Love the show. Thank you so much, Darla. Uh, do you think the Disney slash ScarJo lawsuit will ruin any chances of her returning as Black Widow in the future film slash series? I hope not, because I love her and the character, Thanks. Well, you know what, Darla? My opinion on that has been evolving a bit because at first, when the lawsuit was first filed, I was like, hey, this will definitely strain the relationship, but we still could see them work together again. Look at the George Miller situation with Warner Brothers. George Miller has had a lot of lawsuits with Warner Brothers over their whole um, Mad Max films and all that kind of stuff. But guess what? At the end of the day, once they got all that settled, Business is business. Warner Brothers knows they can make money with George Miller making Mad Max, and Mad Max knows he can make money making these movies with Warner Brothers, so they worked it out. You got to take your personal feelings, put them aside. Business is business. So when Scarlett Johansson first filed her lawsuit, I thought this is definitely going to strain their relationship, and maybe this is it for their relationship, but... They're both business-minded. You know, Disney is business-minded. Scarlett Johansson is business-minded. At the end of the day, if they both feel they can make money together, they'll probably do it. However, my opinion on that changed a little bit when Disney put out their most fuck-twitted, brain-dead, moronic, um, ass-clown of a response they could have possibly put out. And every, like every, the entire industry has bashed on Disney for that response. Oh, Scarlett doesn't understand the COVID. She doesn't care about the COVID situation. Weren't you the same company that reopened your theme parks in the midst of a pandemic surge like a year ago? Anyway, and oh, the Scarlett Johansson, we already paid her $20 million. Oh, so now you're outing people, Sal? Anyway, the whole industry thought Disney was completely titty-fucked that whole thing. They completely ruined it. Anyway, so with that, Disney suddenly made it really personal. At first, it's business. You know, we have a disagreement over our contract. We expect this. You don't want to give that. The next step is to take it to court. It's a business. This is a business decision. It's just business. It ain't personal. Scarlett Johansson never came out and said, Disney are a bunch of assholes. Disney are scummy people. But no, just, hey, look, we've got a business dispute. We're taking it to court. Disney made it personal. Disney's response was a direct personal attack on Scarlett Johansson. They don't have a leg to stand on with facts, so they decided to make a personal attack against her. By making it personal... I think my opinion, and it's only an opinion, I think my opinion has shifted a little bit from, hey, business is business. They could still decide to do business together later. Now I think the relationship is ruined. Now I think the relationship is ruined. And 
you know, uh, Jonas Diaz says in the live chat, you're right, Bob Iger never would have. If Bob Iger had still been running the ship, that stupid statement Disney had put out would never have gotten out the door. Never would have made it out. But they did. And uh, yeah, because of that, Darla, my opinion has slightly changed. I mean, it's still possible they can work this out and get back to making movies together and making money together. That's what everybody wants to do. But yeah, once Disney made it personal, once they made it personal, it's going to be hard to come back from. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, uh, um, evolves. All right, anyway, next up, Russ writes, one of five, buckle in. Just giving my two cents on Jungle Cruise and the weak Disney Plus premium access buys. My wife and I did it for Mulan. A couple of weeks after paying for the honor of seeing it first in the mid-COVID entertainment drought, we thought it was a bargain to see studio releases for $30. Uh, there was a shakeup that went around the media when they released it on digital purchase on other services just a week or two later about the bait and switch. We were upset that we had nothing to show for it. We could have just waited and paid the exact same uh, price and owned a copy that we could rewatch regardless of whether we subscribe to Disney Plus anymore. We felt cheated by the rent it now, also assuming that you could only ever see it on Disney Plus anyway when other purchase options arose. We said we wouldn't do it again. We didn't pay for Ryan the Last Dragon or Cruella, though we wanted to see both. But when Black Widow dropped, we just felt compelled to pitch in for it. Marvel isn't just entertainment. It's an IP that begs you to be caught up or uh, miss the conversation. We thought it was worthwhile, despite our prior experience, to see an important film like Black Widow. And while Jungle Cruise looked like a fun time, we'd be happy just to enjoy it in November when we didn't have to pay or uh, when it because it did not have the same cultural cachet. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, you're right. I remember when that whole thing with Mulan happened, there was a lot of upset people. Because normally, when a, a movie comes out on PVOD, you pay $20, $30, and you own it. For all intents and purposes, you own it. However, with Disney, you first of all have to be a paying subscriber to their Disney Plus service. So you're already a paid subscriber. Now, on top of that, you got to pay another $30. But all that $30 is doing is really renting you the movie until it just comes out on Disney Plus anyway. So you, you're, you can pay the $30, but it's no longer, it's not a part of your library now. And by the way, here's the other catch with that that nobody talks about anymore. When I buy a movie on Amazon, when I buy a movie on Google Play Movies or whatever, I've I've boughten, boughten? Is that even a word, boughten? I've bought, I have bought, boughten. I have bought probably, I don't know, one to 200 films uh, between Google Play Store and Amazon, uh, and Amazon. And while it is theoretically possible that either the Google Play Store or Amazon could lose the rights to provide those movies to the people who purchases from them. That is theoretically possible. Out of the one to 200 movies I've bought over the past seven, eight years, not one has ever disappeared. Like, not one. 
I have lost many, many, many of my DVDs. <laughs> many, many, many of my DVDs and Blu-rays over the years went missing and I lost, but I've never lost a single one of those ones. They're all still there. With Disney Plus Premium Access, you can pay that $30, but guess what? The moment you're not a subscriber to Disney Plus anymore, you no longer have access to that movie, even though you paid $30 for it. I don't have to be a member of Amazon Prime in order to watch the movies that I purchased through Amazon. I can just log on to my Amazon app, watch whatever movies I had. I don't have to be a member of Amazon Prime anymore. With Disney Plus, you can pay that 30 bucks, but if in two months you decide you don't want to be a Disney Plus member anymore, guess what? You don't have access to that movie anymore. You don't have the access to the movie anymore. It's gone. And even if you don't pay the 30 bucks and you're a Disney Plus subscriber, guess what? In a couple of months, you're going to just have it on Disney Plus for free anyway. And what really pissed people off for us, which obviously pissed you off during the Mulan thing, is that Disney made it seem like Disney Plus is the only place to watch Mulan. But then... They made it available on other PVOD platforms as well. So you didn't even have to be a member of Disney Plus in order to buy it. But yeah, it's a really strange model for Disney. Like, not only are they screwing over their theatrical releases, but for the for the consumer, you're paying eight bucks a month now. And by the way, pretty soon it's going to be $10 a month, and then it's going to go up from there. But you're paying your eight or nine dollars a month, whatever it is after taxes. And then you pay $30 to get that movie. But guess what? If you don't want to be a Disney Plus subscriber anymore, you no longer have access to that movie. It's gone. And if you didn't buy the movie, just sit and wait for a couple of weeks and it's going to come out on Disney Plus anyway without an extra fee. It's a very, very odd model. It's a, it's a very odd model. And I think they're still trying to figure out how to make it all work uh, at the same time. Anyway, uh, thanks for writing in your thoughts, Russ. I think you expressed it very, very well. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, uh, we have got uh, Mad Max, who writes... I am planning a bachelor party. Good on you. And love your show. Thank you so much. What is your favorite bachelor party city location? That's easy. Vegas. Vegas. Vegas is the bachelor party location. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for all you do. And I look forward to future legal videos on torts and UCC contracts. Torts and contracts, man. Torts was, I, oh, I didn't like doing torts. Anyway, uh, yeah. Best place in the world to do bachelor parties. I've been to three bachelor parties in Vegas, and they are the top three bachelor parties I've ever been to. I won't say what happened to those at those bachelor parties in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But yeah, I've been to three bachelor parties in Vegas, and they are easily the three best bachelor parties. I've ever been to. Uh, that's my take on that at any rate. All right, next up. Uh, Alan Hall writes, uh, what is is confirmed? Oh, you probably meant what if. What if is confirmed as canon in an interview with IGN today. This was yesterday. Uh, it's part of the multiverse. Do you think we will see any of the alternate uh, uh, alternate characters in the Marvel Universe in the future? No. And by the way, when they say, now, I don't know this. This is just me speculating, okay? This is just me as a fan speculating my own theory from my own point of view. No facts here, okay? This is just opinion. When they say that what if is canon, that's just semantics. It's not. It's nothing, I don't believe, at least according to what Kevin Feige said a couple years ago back at D23 when talking about what if, what if is not going to actually have any impact whatsoever on the actual MCU. 
Like, yes, as a result of the Loki series with all these millions of little timeline strings going out now, they can say, oh, this what if is this little random timeline. And then this what if is that. And so they can say, yeah, within the multiverse of Marvel, you can say it's canon. But when we talk about canon, we're talking about real tangible things that actually affect the ongoing movies and the things we're watching. So uh, according to what Kevin Feige said at DC, uh, D23 a few years ago, and again, he could have changed his mind over the years, but he was very clear when he said, what if is what if, just like in the comics, like in what if and Elseworlds stories in the comics never actually impacted what actually happened in the real DC or Marvel comic timeline stories. So they can say it's canon, but it's in some random alternate timeline multiverse thing that's never actually going to be present in the actual MCU. At least I'm taking what Kevin Feige said on that. So who knows? Who knows? Anything's possible. I do think it would be a stupid move of them to take this little random what if thing and then try to actually implement it into the MCU. I think that would be stupid. But um, yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. And I think it's just semantics. But again, that's just me as an individual fan giving my theory on it. It's Kevin Feige didn't call me to tell me that was the case. All right. Next up, uh, we've got legal scenario question rights. Unknown to you, Ann pays Rob $15 to mow your lawn each week. Unknown to Ann, you pay Rob $20 to mow your lawn each week. Rob mows your lawn once a week. After a year, you find out that you guys have been paying Rob $35 and getting one mow. What happens? Well, under that scenario, what would probably happen is this. Uh, Unless Ann and I could prove that Robert knew that Ann and I did not know about each of us individually making a deal with Robert, then the problem, then the onus is on us. Like if we could prove, like we, if we found a, a, a diary page from Robert where Robert wrote down, ha ha ha, John and Ann don't realize that each of them made a deal with me to do this. I'm going to make sure I keep this secret from both of them and blah, blah, blah. There is, the onus isn't on Robert to tell us the de- like what me and Ann are doing. We would have to prove that Robert knew that we both didn't know we had individual deals. Because as far as Robert's concerned, oh, you're going to pay me 15 and you're going to pay me 10? Cool. All right. So we would have to be able to prove that he had a conspiracy with himself to defraud us. Otherwise, it's not his responsibility to tell us that just because me and Ann didn't communicate, that's on us. So that's kind of probably how that one would work out. Interesting legal scenario question there. I like that. All right, next up. Uh, let Qui-Gon's be Qui-Gon's. I like that. That's a good name. Uh, what is the relationship between video games and superhero movies? How come bombs like Elektra, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and X-Men Origins got games, but successes like Venom, Shazam, and Aquaman didn't? How do they determine if a movie gets a game? Well, listen, it's all about whether like game producers want to have to make a game. And then they have to approach a studio and say, we would like the rights to make a game. And the studio will tell them, okay, it'll cost you this much money if you want to make a game. And then the studio has to decide if they need to be protective of that IP or not. So when you get a movie like Elektra, right, that isn't well-received, 
that um, that wasn't a huge success, a video game company could approach the studio, and the studio's not going to make it very expensive. They say, "Okay, yeah, you you will give you, you can buy a license from us to make a, an Electra video game." They're not going to charge you all that much, and the studio isn't protective of the Electra IP because the movie wasn't received well, right? When with big successes like Aquaman, they're going to want to be careful. And they're going to charge a game company a hell of a lot more. I can't even imagine what the company that made the Spider-Man game on PlayStation, I can't even imagine what those rights cost. It was probably worth every penny, but I can't even imagine what those rights cost. So listen, I'm not a huge insider in the video game industry, but uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's all a matter about what what properties are video game companies interested in making and then how much would that cost and how willing are the studios to allow a game company to make a game based on their IP so it's it's not a one person makes the decision it's it's a more complicated situation than that with multiple parties involved anyway uh, that's my best understanding of it anyway Qui-Gon's all right next up Kara Black writes who would you be the most afraid to run into in a dark alley? Darth Vader or Sauron in his physical form? Darth Vader. Easy. No questions asked. Darth Vader would kill Sauron in a second. Uh, 100% Darth Vader is the one I would most least like to run into a dark alley in a foul mood. I mean, let's be clear. I don't want to run into either of them. But uh, I'd rather run into Sauron because I think I could run away from him uh, as opposed to Darth Vader. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Plot Twisties writes, Hey guys, have you seen the new Suicide Squad TV spot where the cast comments on the petition? I've heard about this. The petition to rename a civic center in Edmonton, Nathan's hometown, the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I nearly pissed myself laughing gold. No, this is true. This is true. You guys should go look this up. They're actually trying to get this done. I don't know that they'll be able to succeed, but they're really trying to get this done. Of course, Nathan Fillion is a good Canadian kid. Actually, here's a really, really cool Nathan Fillion story. Um, I can't remember which movie we were at. Uh, I was at a movie premiere. It might have been one of the Star Wars ones. I, I can't remember. But um, I was standing I was standing talking to uh, Wendy, Wendy Lee, who was, used to be my assistant, and then she kind of became uh, the administrative person over at Collider and things like that. And she, like her and her husband both, loved Nathan Fillion, loved him. And their main love for him wasn't even Firefly. Their main love for him came from people. I don't, I never watched the show. You guys in the live chat, what was the name of that show that Nathan Fillion did for like eight years where he was like a, a writer? Um, I can't remember the name of the show. I, I never watched the show. Castle, Kyle Legal writes Castle. So uh, thank you, uh, Mantra, Mark, uh, Willem, Darren, all you guys writing in Castle. Thank you for that. So they loved Castle. Like Wendy and her husband love, love, love Castle. I never watched a single episode of it myself. So she was crazy about Nathan Fillion. Absolutely crazy about him. And so we're standing around in the foyer at this premiere. And who comes walking right by us? Nathan Fillion. And I like, I noticed Nathan Fillion and I turned to Wendy and goes, Hey, Wendy's Nathan Fillion. Like Wendy's like, like just looking, I'm like, go, go talk to him. She's like, I can't, I can't I'm just like, go, go talk to him. So she did. So I ran up and grabbed him. I go, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. Hey, hey I, 
Wendy here is a huge fan. Can you can you come talk? And he's like, sure. And he he Nathan feeling comes walking over. How are you doing? And he says hi to her and stuff like that. Super, super nice of him to do. He had like a bunch of other people waiting to talk to him. And it's like, hey, can you come say hi? And he came walking over and say hi. Super sweet of the guy. Good Canadian kid, uh, Nathan Fillion. Super charming. Incredibly talented. He's in Suicide Squad. I really love his show that he's got on right now called The Rookie. Um, He's got this uh, where he plays like a, a guy in his 40s who is a rookie cop. It's actually really good. I really like the show Rookie. I just, but I'm just a huge Nathan Fillion fan. So, yeah, interesting story there, plot. So, yeah, if you guys want to hear more about the story that Plot Twisties is bringing up, just go search it on Google. It's really cool. All right, next up, uh, where are we at? Ben Rayner writes, "Hey John, just watched three questions with Anne. For those of you who missed it, um, we put up. Let me see if I can bring it up here. We Anne and I, uh, we're doing these little video blogs." These little video vlogs have four degrees um, and have we um, we put up our second one. We put up our second one yesterday with us, with me and Ann. And it was called three questions with Ann, where we discussed. uh, I took questions from you guys. You guys sent in questions, asking questions specifically for Ann. And uh, Ann gave her input. And uh, gosh, nearly 20,000 of you guys have watched that little vlog we put up. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. So anyway, we did that and put it up and it was really fun. And thank you to all you guys who have been put in, said such nice things about the little thing that we did. So I appreciate that very much. It's very nice of you guys. Anyway, let's, let's get back to the question here, shall we? Uh, so Ben is, is writing, Hey John, just watch three questions with Ann. Uh, love it. Got to do more of it. We will do more of that. Uh, you guys seem to enjoy it and I love doing it with Ann too. So there you go. Uh, you two are so cute. Uh, second, I never saw, uh, are you, I never saw ah, are, but, Okay. Second, I never saw uh, R, but you talk about it a lot. So I came up with a theory. Here's one in the comma and his wife and kid. I'm sorry, Ben. I have no idea what we're talking about. I have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, none. I have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Sorry. Sorry, Ben. But thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for watching our um, our little uh, vlog video. Anyway, Sam Fisher writes, one of two. I agree with you completely, John, about Chapek affecting movies. As a massive Marvel fan and as someone with anxiety, I go into all these what ifs, pun not intended, about Marvel's quality starting with Doctor Strange 2, its first MCU project uh, under Chapek. Uh, He and his middlemen, non-creatives, can seriously affect the story of the movie. We have also heard Feige is unhappy. Yeah, that that came out in one of the stories the other day um, that Kevin Feige was uh, is very unhappy with Disney right now and how they're handling the whole Scarlett Johansson situation. Anyway, Feige is the leader of the MCU. And if he's unhappy, then what happens to the quality of the MCU? Because I know when I'm unhappy, my work suffers. Yeah, so basically... And 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 by the way, Doctor Strange 2 isn't even the first thing that's under Chapek. Doctor Strange 2 was already well underway before Bob Chapek. We're still we're still a good year or more away from seeing the first films come out that were truly under Chapek. Okay, so we're still a little bit out from that. Um, but yeah, listen, eventually what is at the top will filter down throughout the company. 
And if there is chaos and mismanagement and, you know, mistakes being made at the top, that is eventually going to filter down and start to affect the quality of the projects that we ultimately see on screen. Now, it's not going to happen this week. It's not going to happen this month. It's not even going to happen this year. But at some point, it's all going to catch up and, and we're going to start to see that actually express itself and be manifested um, on the screen. So yeah, it's something we got to look out for, Sam. Absolutely. All right, next up. Sam Fisher also writes, I need more of Disney in the Campia era. Uh, what studios would you buy? What projects would you greenlight? Oh, so you're saying if I was the CEO of Disney, what projects would you greenlight? May I suggest a Spartacus battle a Spartacus Battlestar Galactica Sons of Anarchy crossover movie or a Stardust slash The Princess Bride sequel revealing that they take place in one universe. Well, no, I mean, I, if, if I, look, the only thing you can answer if somebody were to ask you, hey, if you were the head of the studio, what would you do? It's like, I, I don't know. I'd have to see what projects are coming across my desk. I mean, that's really what it is. What projects are coming across my desk? And then knowing what to green light and what not to green light. And that's why, you know, seriously, that's why you guys know I have had serious issues with Kathleen Kennedy in this, in the sense that I think the most important job of the studio head is to make sure you hire the right directors and making sure that the directors are 100% on page on the same page as you. And you are on the exact 100% same page as the directors and blah. And then what did we see with Kathleen Kennedy? Like, we saw out of the first like five projects, six or seven sets of directors come and go. I mean, that's a terrible ratio. And the fact that they had no plan, like I thought the force awakens is awesome. Force awakens is awesome. I don't care what anybody says. Force awakens is awesome. But eventually the fact that they never actually had a plan for the trilogy before they started, it started to catch up with them because while I like the last Jedi, I do like it. I also had some big issues with it. And then by the time you get to the rise of Skywalker, the rise of Skywalker was terrible. And every single problem can be drawn back to the fact that they never came up with a plan. And these are issues I have with Kathleen Kennedy. But the problem is, is that we are such a zero or 10 society. It comes to the same with how people look at other individuals in the entertainment industry. So there are people who don't like Kathleen Kennedy, but they refuse to give her credit for the successes that she's had. For example... You look at Mandalorian. Listen, I was just saying, if you're the head of a studio, it's all about what comes across your desk. Kathleen Kennedy literally has hundreds of pitches, hundreds of pitches coming across her desk, full write-ups and outlines and everything about all these various show pitches and ideas for something in the Star Wars universe, blah, blah, blah. She, when she got John Favreau's pitch, and John Favreau tells this story at, this, at D23, he was on stage telling this story. But Kathleen Kennedy comes across Favreau's pitch and she recognized this will work. This could be really good. Kathleen Kennedy could have easily take, taken that pitch and thrown it out just like she did with dozens and dozens and dozens of others. But she saw the Mandalorian one and recognized this has potential. And as John Favreau tells the story, it was Kathleen Kennedy who said to John Favreau, this pitch is really interesting and really good. What I think would really work well here is if I teamed you up with Dave Filoni. 
like you'll be the boss, but I'd like to team you up with Dave Filoni because I think Dave Filoni, with what your pitch is here, I think Dave Filoni could really bring something interesting to this as well and really flesh it out. And John Favreau was like, yeah, I know Dave. Yeah, that would be great. And so, but the people who don't like Kathleen Kennedy refuse to give her any credit for that. She recognized, it's her main job, recognizing this could be a good project and then recognizing what could make the project even better by adding this in. And like, look, if you're going to give people crap for the crap that happens, which I do, you also got to be willing to give credit where credit is due. And it's just funny sometimes to see these anti uh, Kathys being quick to pass judgment on the dumb things that she's done. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I, she's done some bad things as the head of Star Wars there. But you got to be willing to give credit where credit is due. And she's had some successes. Mandalorian being a good one. Anyway, all that is to say that my main job as the Disney CEO, if I was there, or at least CEO of the movie division, if I was the head of the, if I was chairman of the movie division, is that ability to pick out the projects that come across your desk. And I don't know that I'd be very good at it. <laughs> to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't be very good at it at all. Uh, anyway, there's that. Okay, next up, uh, we've got uh, Matt who writes, "Hey, John. By the way, I just noticed we're a little bit overtime. Do you guys mind if we go overtime today? I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go a little bit overtime today. If you guys don't mind, we'll go like 15 minutes overtime. Anyway, Matt writes, uh, "Hey, John. What's your prediction on the Usman versus Covington rematch? Not much different than the first one. Also, uh, where does Suicide Squad rank in the DCU for your opinion? I'm not going to rank it. I'll, look, I'll just tell you, I think it's fantastic. It's utterly fantastic. I love it. So, But I'm not going to do a ranking of it right now. Um, it's going to go... Listen, honestly, Kobe Covington is a fantastic fighter. He really is. But he's also overrated. Gilbert Burns would F him up. Gilbert Burns would destroy Covington, absolutely destroy him. He would overwhelm him. He would knock his head off. Gilbert Burns would just destroy him. Uh, I don't think Covington should be getting a rematch against Usman. I mean, listen, Covington held his own for a bit in that fight. Give credit words too, but it's going to be the same outcome. He is not in, in Usman's class. He is simply not in Usman's class. Personally, I think right now, now that... Um, uh, now that uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov has retired, the greatest greatest combat fighter of all time, now that he's retired, I th- honestly think Usman is the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. I really do. So it's going to be much the same as last time. He's going to knock him out. Usman's going to knock Covington out. Anyway, uh, but I mean, U- listen, Covington is a legit top five guy. He is a legit top five guy, but he's not in Usman's league. He's just not. Anyway, uh, next up, BK Dan writes, um, uh, John, just need to bring uh, to yours and everyone's attention that today in entertainment history is a mixed bag. Not only did we lose Marilyn Monroe in 1962, it's also the anniversary of Risky Business being released on this day in 1983 with Tom Cruise. Dun, 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 dun. Just take them old records off the shelf. He reinvigorated uh, that song. Yeah, man, risky business with Tom Cruise. Uh, forever iconic in everybody's mind, the imagery of him sliding across the floor with the sunglasses singing the song. Iconic. Thanks for bringing that up, BK. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Suthius writes, 
Do you guys set out to watch bad movies? No. Uh, in the vein of Asylum masterpieces, I ask because a couple of my friends love that sort of stuff. Uh, they set out to sit down for hours upon hours and watch bad movies. But hey, it's all subjective, right? Um, listen, I got a special place in my heart for Asylum because when I moved AMC Movie News into the new studios, our new studio was literally the next door neighbor of Asylum. And when we moved in, like four or five of the Asylum guys came over and they brought like tons of DVDs of their movies. And they just came over and said, hey, listen, we just found out that you guys were moving in. We're big fans of movie talk. And all of us at Asylum are big fans of movie talk and blah, blah. And they came over and they gave us like 20 DVDs. It was so great. So I got a soft spot in my heart for those guys. I really do. Uh, they, of course, made like uh, snakes on a train instead of snakes on a plane and they, the Transmorphers instead of the Transformers. And they, they're the ones who do all those movies. Uh, but no, I do not personally uh, set out to watch those things. Uh, I don't go out of my way to watch those things. It j- just, you know, I, I don't go out of my way to watch bad movies. But there's the odd terrible movie that I do crack me up. It's just like Cool as Ice. Vanilla Ice's movie, Cool as Ice. All right, next up, we got Mike Brandy who writes, Hey, John, with the semi-success of Mortal Kombat of 2021, uh, you always say streaming is about IP, IP, IP. Do you see another studio going after fighting game IPs like Street Fighter? Nah. Uh, Tekken, Smash Bros., etc.? Not really. Uh, I'd hope SF. I don't know what SF is. Uh, Love me some Van Damme. Oh, you probably mean Street Fighter. Uh, Van Damme 1994. Nah, I don't think so. There have been several attempts at making Street Fighter content that have had varying degrees. There's this one animated iteration that some people really like. Um, But no, because you can't do it cheaply. And if you did do it cheaply, you're just going to turn off the fans of it. So I'm going to guess probably no. And Lord Genome was already pointing out Tekken already has a terrible movie. Yeah. So I don't think those are valuable IPs. I, I don't think those are valuable. I mean, hey, listen, you never know. Anything can happen, but I don't think those are uh, particularly valuable IPs or that a streaming service would look at those and find them really particularly attractive, but that's just me. All right, next up. Willow writes, is the next generation your favorite Star Trek series? Probably, yeah, it probably is. Uh, if so, which is your least favorite of the older series, i.e. the original Star Trek series, the animated series, I, I don't even ca- I, I don't even count the animated series. Don't even count that. Um, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise. I will say this. I like them all. I would say out of all those ones that I legitimately like, my least, the one I like the least, even though I still like it, is probably Enterprise. A lot of people will say Voyager. And you know what? I, I said this story a few days ago. I actually sat down and watched the two-part finale of Voyager again, Uh, about a week or two ago, I had like an hour and a half to kill for lunch. Normally I've only got like 20 minutes for lunch, but I had like a full hour and a half for lunch. So I sat down and I popped on, I think it was Paramount plus, I think it was Paramount plus. And I popped on, I haven't watched Voyager in ages, ages, but I thought, you know, I'm going to put on the two part finale of it again. And I watched it like, you know what? This was actually pretty good. Voyager, I think was better than people remember, but um, I liked Enterprise as well, but I think Enterprise was probably uh, my least favorite of those ones. Anyway, that's just me. Uh, okay, next up. We've got uh, Tribal Chief Rights. Will there be a suicide spoiler discussion? I've, I've thought about that. 
Um, should we do a Suicide Squad spoiler discussion? You know what? Yes. I think on Sunday afternoon we will do an open spoiler discussion of Suicide Squad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do an open spoiler discussion of Suicide Squad on Sunday afternoon. So keep your guys' eyes open for that. Sunday afternoon. So that gives you guys tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday to go out and watch it. And then Sunday we'll do an open spoiler discussion. Thanks for asking, Tribal Chief. All right, next up. Uh, where we got? We got Agent J writes. Hey, John, huge fan from France, Lion. Thank you so much, man. Uh, you provide me with my daily fix of movie news on my way to work, so thanks. Well, thank you for watching, man, and listening. In France, it's now mandatory to provide a vaccine pass for restaurants, movie theaters, and similar services. Not yet in the U.S., I heard. Right, but as Aaron pointed out a little bit earlier, and as we talked about, I believe, yesterday, the city of New York is actually introducing a new rule that you have to show proof of vaccination to go into public things like restaurants, gyms, uh, movie theaters, Broadway shows. Um, so that is happening in New York City. I have a feeling you will see it spread more throughout the U.S. It won't become a national thing, but I think you'll you'll see it spread a little bit more. Um, but anyway, that's a, a pretty bold move on your country's part, man. I, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. But uh, right now, New York is introducing it. We'll see if other places in the in the states do it as well. By the way, you know, it should be pointed out that more and more people are getting vaccinated. And there are some people not vaccinated right now simply because they can't get a vaccination. They're trying. I mean, there are some cities like Los Angeles where it's totally available. But there are a lot of places in the country that are a little bit short on vaccines. So there are a lot of people out there that want to be vaccinated. They just can't right now. And they're, they're on a waiting list to do it. So we'll see how it all kind of turns out. We'll see how it all works out. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Agent J. Next up, Chris writes, um, regarding the rap article, they paint Kareem Daniel merely as a banker, but they ignore all of his former roles in the company per the company site, such as Imagineering, games, publishing, Marvel acquisition, etc. Uh, felt it was unfair to leave out your thoughts. Well, no, see, that's been brought up before, but really when you look at it, even then none of his experience in what he actually did in those divisions from what I read on the rap and on variety really in no way qualified him for like the head of distribution which basically gives him power over all the studio heads. He has power. He outranks Kevin Feige. Wrap your head around this. It used to be that Kevin Feige would get to decide what would happen with one of his movies. Obviously, he was doing that working with Alan Horn, but still, he would kind of get to decide that. He doesn't get to decide that now. Kevin Feige can say, man, I really have this great vision for a... I don't know. Let me pick a random X-Man rogue. I have this great idea for a rogue movie. I, th I can just see it now. The theaters pack people. I can just see this movie, man, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the power to decide where that movie goes anymore. Now he doesn't get to choose that. Kareem Daniels does. And there is nothing in his past resume that qualifies him to have that position in that job other than being loyal to Bob Chapek. His main training, his main area of expertise, his true profession is he's an economics guy. He's a banker. That's, that's what he is. He's had some of these other jobs, but none of which really qualify him for this. Anyway, that's my interpretation. That's my interpretation of it and why probably why the rap put it that way. But anyway, again, that 
you can you can take it, interpret however you wish, of course. That's just how I kind of took it. Anyway, thanks for bringing that up. Worth bringing up, Chris. All right, next up, Matthew, the movie fan, writes, Since ScarJo filed the lawsuit against Disney, none of her co-stars from Marvel have spoken out in her defense. Why would they need to speak in her defense? She's not the defense here. She's suing Disney. Disney isn't suing her. Why would anybody need to speak in her defense? Anyway, uh, none of the co-stars from Marvel have spoken out in her defense. Do you think they will eventually, or do you think they will remain silent? No, they absolutely, absolutely should keep their mouths shut and not get involved in this. This has nothing to do with them. Now, if Scarlett Johansson was being sued by Disney and Scarlett Johansson needed people to come to her defense, that might be different. That might create a completely different scenario. But like, this has nothing to do with Chris Hemsworth. Like Chris Hemsworth isn't in Black Widow. This isn't his project. This isn't his movie. He was not there. This has nothing to do with him. And since it's a legal procedure, Chris Hemsworth, I love Chris Hemsworth. Don't get me wrong. I love Chris. But Chris Hemsworth should absolutely keep his damn mouth shut. This has nothing to do with him. Has nothing to do. Now, again, if Scarlett was being, a, was being, you know, was the one being sued and for something like that, then I would expect to see people need to come to her defense. But she's the one doing the suing. This is her lawsuit. And it has nothing to do with any of those other actors. None of them should open their mouths at all. They should keep quiet. This is none of their business. This has nothing to do with them. They should absolutely keep their mouths shut. It's not their business. So anyway, that's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my take on that. It has nothing to do with anybody else. All right. Next up, and this is our final question today, guys. Comes to us from your tribal chief who writes, after seeing all the Lakers free agency uh, signings, Westbrook, Mello, Howard. <laughs> By the way, I love, I love the, the Howard re-signing. I love, I, they never should have let him go last year. Anyway, uh, Westbrook, it be interesting to see how that turns out. Mellow, I don't understand that signing at all. Anyway, my first thought was, man, if LeBron had this much help for Space Jam, maybe it would have been a better movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Not very good. Not very good, that Space Jam movie. I'm a huge LeBron fan, but that movie was not very good at all. Anyway, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you, everybody, for being here and being a part of the show. Now, a few other questions have come in after Tribal Chief. Uh, don't worry. We'll kick things off. We'll pick up right after Tribal Chief on tomorrow's John Campia Show. Of course, Robert Meyer Burnett is going to be here tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Guys, thank you so much for making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to Aaron Cummings and Greg Alba for bringing their incredible insight and points of view uh, and their incredible gift for communication to the show. Always great to have them both on. Cannot wait to have both of them back. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved at the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves. Please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.